Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers and today we're diving into everything you need to know about the so-called Bali Bonk Ban. I know it's been called that and it does sound kind of amusing when you put it like that, but there is actually a sinister side to these new laws which criminalise sex outside marriage and they have some worrying implications for Indonesians. This will be people who are vulnerable, uh, marginalised people, LGBT people, you know, queer people who don't have the rights to get married in Indonesia. So what these new laws mean and how they'll affect you if you've got a trip to Bali planned for 2023. That is our briefing topic in the second half of this episode. But first, today's headlines with Rihanna Patrick. It is Tuesday, December 13. Six people, including two police officers, have been killed during a shootout on a rural property in Queensland. While we are yet to learn the full extent of what has occurred, we do know this event is extraordinarily distressing on many levels. Tragically, this is the largest loss of life we have suffered in one single incident in recent times. That's Queensland Police Commissioner Katarina Carroll. So four police were called to this property at Wyambilla, west of Brisbane, in the Western Downs about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. They were investigating reports of a missing person from New South Wales. It's then believed the officers were ambushed, the offenders heavily armed and wearing camouflage. Yeah, a male and a female officer, both under the age of 30, were killed at the scene in an execution-style shooting. A third suffered a bullet graze and was taken to hospital. A fourth officer, believed to be a woman and a recent graduate from the police academy, managed to escape. A neighbour who's thought to have been responding to a fire at the property was also shot and killed. And then just after 10.30 last night, specialist police stormed the property. Two men and a woman were killed during that raid. Yeah, and the Prime Minister has sent his condolences to the families overnight via Twitter, telling them Australia mourns with you while flags at all Queensland police stations will fly at half-mast today. And an update is expected to be given this morning to media about the latest developments. Big changes have been announced surrounding the way we test for COVID. So in the new year, we will need a GP referral for a PCR test. That's according to the government's new COVID management plan. This plan uh, strikes the right balance. We're confident to protect vulnerable Australians, to protect the integrity of our health and hospital system. Health Minister Mark Butler there. And yeah, this plan also details $2.9 billion worth of funding for various measures, including hospital COVID admissions and the extension of services like GP respiratory clinics. And the vaccine program will be extended through to December 2023. I guess where my heart sank a little bit, Rihanna, when I was reading through these changes is that uh, during the pandemic, the number of subsidised psychology sessions that you could get used to be able to get 10, it was increased to 20, which was amazing news. And as you know, psychology clinics are booked out everywhere around the country because mm. uh, it really did exacerbate and trigger a lot of uh, mental health issues for people during the pandemic. So those are going to be cut back to 10 uh, in the new year, which is not so great. Our chief medical officer also gave us a bit of a forecast of what we can expect with COVID in the next little while. He said that we can expect to experience new waves of COVID on a regular basis for at least the next two years. Yeah, and those 
PCR tests will remain free um, with the government agreeing to extend its funding for those state-run testing sites and PCR tests will be prioritised if you're in a high-risk group or community as well. Cricket Australia has offered David Warner's wife Candice the option of a security guard at matches for the rest of the summer. So this is after Candice revealed on Triple M she was targeted by an abusive spectator in Adelaide when she was with two of her young daughters. Like any group of men who have been drinking, they were weak, they were gutless. I said, do you feel good about yourself trying to intimidate me, belittle me, embarrass me in front of my kids? Yeah, Warner says she confronted the man after bystanders failed to step in and she hopes her decision shows not just her kids but others that they should stand up to bullies. Cricket Australia bosses have provided her with a special phone number she can call at this weekend's test if she wants a security guard. Warner says she doesn't want special treatment, but it was nice to know she had the option. I can't believe this, frankly, that the wives of cricketers would be targeted by by abusive fans. I mean, I know that there's a lot of drinking that goes on at games, but that's a bridge too far. And Candace Warner says that this isn't the first time it's happened. It's actually a bit of a common practice and her and the other wives have just had enough of it. Yeah, and to do it in front of an eight and a three-year-old child, I mean, you've got to start asking yourself at what point do you need to have a hard, long look at yourself, right? Absolutely. And a bunch of Aussies have been nominated for this year's Golden Globes. Baz Luhrmann's movie Elvis has picked up three for Best Film, Best Actor in a Drama and Best Film Director. Yeah, Hugh Jackman, Kate Blanchett and Margot Robbie have all been nominated for awards and the Globes are trying to make a comeback after last year it was discovered the group had no black members at the time among other issues. All right, thanks for that, Rihanna. We are about to find out everything you need to know about these controversial new laws that ban sex outside of marriage in Indonesia. Antoinette, I think when we all heard that news last week about the new laws banning sex outside of marriage in Indonesia, I know that my mind went Mm. straight to my future Bali holiday plans. We're planning to go back next year and I'm not married to my partner. We love going to Mm -hmm. Bali. So I guess in my brain, I'm like, what's that going to mean? Not just for us, but for all the other Australians who travel to Indonesia every month. Yeah, look, and I don't think your response was an uncommon one. Aussies, immediately went, oh my God, what does this mean for my like shag ability in in Bali? <laughs> well, it's true. Everyone's like, oh, how, you know, this is going to change my trip. A little bit selfish, but it's okay to have that first reaction. And if you don't know what we're talking about, these laws are seen as a response to the rising religious conservatism in Indonesia over the last few years. And the laws ban sex outside marriage, not just for locals, but also for visiting foreigners if they hook up with a local. So to explain the context of these laws and why this so-called Bali bonk ban may not even be the most worrying part is Indonesian-Australian journalist Tito Ambio, who's also a researcher with RMIT University. Tito, thanks so much for joining us. So let's first take a look at the premarital sex laws because that's what everyone's talking about. So what exactly are they? And I'm interested to know, like, how easily will they be enforced? 
Well, the premarital sex thing is, it is something that a lot of people are talking about around the world. What's really interesting about this is this is a larger criminal code. What the Indonesian government has been trying to do since the 80s is that they, they've been trying to create a new criminal code because the old criminal code was uh, remnants of colonialism from the Dutch era. So this is a new one that's been promised since the 80s. And the premarital sex part is... Basically, trying to regulate morality in Indonesia, regulate how people live their uh, their love lives, basically. What it is trying to do is if you are basically cohabiting or if you're having sex with people who are not your, you're not married with, then people can report you. But basically, the law will only be applicable if someone who is affected, uh, a family member, for example, reports you to the police. Indonesians have been living under this fear of government regulating morality for a while. Very recently, there have been people who were uh, reported to the police because they were living together, uh, even though they're not married. This is in the, uh, in the city of Cirebon, for example. And now what the government is doing is basically trying to make it into a national law. But of course, people who will be uh, victims of this are not people who have money, are not people who are wealthy enough or powerful mm -hmm. enough to be able to ignore the law. This will be people who are vulnerable, uh, marginalized people, LGBT people, you know, queer people who don't have the rights to get married in Indonesia anyway. Given Bali is such a popular holiday spot for Australians, I mean, around 1.4 million Australians visit Indonesia every year, I think a lot of people's minds went to, well, how is this going to affect me as an Aussie tourist? <laughs> what do you think about that? Should we be worried about it? Short answer is no, <laughs> you don't have to be worried about it. A slightly kind of non-serious answer to this is just don't hook up with Indonesians. <laughs> Only family members can report you to the police. However, then this, of course, brings the question, if you're an Australian and you go to Bali and then you meet an Indonesian and then, you know, you like each other and, you know, you have sex, then the person who might be more in danger will be the Indonesian side. Um, so if you're a foreign tourist, you don't have to worry about this too much. So more broadly speaking about that criminal code, because it isn't just about premarital sex, it's about a generally kind of more conservative direction. What else is in the firing line? Because, you know, it also includes things like insulting the president, um, peaceful protests. What to you were some of the more sinister and damaging changes? To me, it feels downright sinister, as you said, because I'm old enough to remember what it was like to live under Suharto pre-1998. So in Indonesia in 1998, there was a huge political reformation. The dictator Suharto stepped down, basically. And living under Suharto was pretty hard. As a student, you always have to look around you. You, you, know, you never really can, because I was also a bit of a, an activist when I was in high school. And it was really scary. You know, every morning you have to be careful about, you know, who you talk to. You can't trust anyone. Um, so I still remember that very vividly. You know, even some of my friends disappeared as well. So mm. for me, this does feel sinister because this is a return to the authoritarian past that Indonesia had. 
the insulting president part, uh, that's kind of scary because, you know, that's, I mean, again, only the president can report you if you insult the president. Um, but again, if that is the case, then it will be selectively implemented again. And so who is going to be the victims? Of course, the people who are vulnerable, people who don't have access to legal protection, etc. Do you think Australians are sometimes culturally ignorant? I mean, Indonesia is a Muslim majority nation and the country with the largest Muslim population. What would you like Australians to know? Do you think we need to be a bit more culturally respectful when we travel to places like Bali? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I've lived in Australia for more than 20 years now. And I remember the first time I moved to um, Australia, you know, the joke is that Australians only know Bali. People don't know that Bali is a part of Indonesia. And I think thanks to Chappelle mm -hmm. Corby, I think a lot of Australians now know that <laughs> Bali is a part of Indonesia. People don't really know how complex Indonesia is. I mean, among Indonesian experts, you know, Indonesianists, I think one of the things that we all can agree with is that nobody actually really understands Indonesia because it's a super complex place. What I want Australians to know about Indonesia is that this is a country that's been dealing with 350 years of colonialism. We're still uh, struggling with that. And the criminal code is a part of this, right? The, um, some of these articles are very vague. And Indonesians like to call this as pasal karet, which is uh, rubber articles, you know, articles that can be used to basically catch anyone when they're doing anything. Yeah, one thing that I want Australians to know is that, yeah, we are going through another phase after Reformation in 1998. There was a complex period in Indonesian history. And now, you know, 20 something years after Reformation, we are going through another transition. And it is a complex transition that is also reflected in social media and other places as well in other countries. That was Tito Ambrio, an Indonesian-Australian researcher who works at RMIT. All right, we're going to get a feel now for how the laws are being received on the ground. Jenny Hewitt is a travel writer. She lives between Sydney and Bali. Thanks so much for joining us, Jenny. You've spent years travelling between the two countries up until recently. What was the vibe in Bali? Had it gotten back to pre-COVID tourist levels? It had. Um, I first went over there in early April and things were still very slow. Um, there was hardly anybody there. When I returned again in August, I was really amazed to see how quickly things had picked up. Eat Street on Seminyak was completely full of tourists. There was shops were all open. Um, when I had visited previously in April, all the shops were shuttered up. There was nothing going on. So it really has bounced back quickly. So that's, I guess, why it's such a shame that this news has come out because it will be a setback for the local community there for sure. And so what has the response been like among the expat and travel and even, you know, lifestyle rider community? My friends are expats in Bali. Um, they've kind of shrugged it off as something that will, will lose steam. You know, historically, there's been more conservative laws like this that have lost steam, you know, such as the, the Bali bikini ban of 2018 and the Bali booze ban of 2020 that, that never eventuated. So it's three years before it will be implemented. So I think the sentiment there is that, you know, the media is making a big deal of it and um, there's nothing to worry about. So I guess what's your personal view on this though? You've had an experience with a friend who spent a month in custody in Dubai. Share that story with us. I lived in Dubai for almost um, seven years and I've personally spent quite a lot of time living and, and traveling in Islamic countries. 
So yeah, she was put into jail for sex outside of marriage, as was the person that she was seeing and then his ex-girlfriend. So they were all kind of caught up in this triangle. And yeah, so I visited her every couple of weeks. So she needed books and warm clothes. And um, it was very hard to see her in that situation because they were putting tranquilizers in their food and their tea. And she ended up having to, you know, share a mattress with the with the girl that had kind of gotten her into that um, situation. So these things do happen. I think Dubai is relaxing its laws around this now, but um, you always keep that in the back of your mind when you've kind of had friends that have, have actually been in this situation. I know a lot of people love to visit Dubai and Bali as these fun party towns, but is it important mm. for Aussies to take the responsibility to realise we're entering a society with different values, with different religious beliefs, and that it really is up to them to set sort of the law of the land. Exactly. You know, living as a child and adult in these countries, you know, you learn to adapt and exist in a law or culture that's very different from the one you were born into. And it is our responsibility to be respectful and mindful of cultural norms um, when we travel, just as we expect anyone who travels to Australia to do the same, to adapt to our way of life. And do you think this will actually deter people from going to Bali? We've traditionally flocked there. Um, we get pretty loose there. And, you know, even after the mm-hmm. Bali bombings, people continue to go to Bali. There are very few things that will ultimately stop Aussies from wanting to travel to Bali. You know, usually they're related to airline cancellations, natural disasters, and much less so in the last 20 years. But terrorism has been a deterrent in the past. You know, I think the threat of terrorism is a far greater risk to our safety. And yet we still travel to Bali. So, Personally, I don't think it will affect our desire to want to travel to Bali. Maybe perhaps so if the law is implemented. But until then, I think we just have to continue going (laughs) and really support the local community there who are doing everything they can to get tourism back. That was travel writer Jenny Hewitt. And Bali's governor, Wayne Costa, has now clarified these controversial laws won't apply to tourists, but only locals. He says uh, tourists won't have their marital status checked on arrival when they're checking into hotels or villas, and that a person can only be prosecuted under these new laws, which do come effect in three years' time if there's a complaint by a parent, spouse, or child. And he also said that uh, even though there's been reports that lots of flights and uh, accommodation bookings have been cancelled since these new laws were announced, that in fact there's been a spike in bookings from December to March. So look, I guess time is going to tell. And that's it from us for today's briefing. Thank you so much for joining us. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be diving into the mental health crisis and how the solution could be simpler than most of us think. Listener.